And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Was any of you the first time you heard this passage? Was it Peanuts? Was it Charlie Brown's Christmas? The first time you ever heard this? I still am amazed that it's still, they let this part of the, they haven't edited this out. Like every time, like you're just reading along like biblical account on television. I always am, I have this uncle who, I'll tell the story later. Let's read the text. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's take a moment together to be still. The busyness of the season, the chaos, the running around. I want to encourage even all of our, our team right now who's running around making sure all the stuff in the background is working out and people are in position for stuff coming in the service. Can we all just take a moment and be still? We allow all the sounds of people's footsteps or creaking pews or a siren outside or a baby crying. All this belongs. I take a breath. We breathe in. Breathe out. We breathe in. Breathe out. We hear the words of God through the psalmist. Be still. Just know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. And all those who agree said, Amen. Anyone driven through a school zone in Providence and gotten a ridiculously priced ticket? Anybody? Yeah. There's a whole different needs fund we have for that. If that just like threw you into bankruptcy, I understand. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but there was a, an initiative, and I'm sure it was part well-intentioned and 
I, I'm sure there are folks who work in the government who may be in the room, so I'm just going to just assume the best. We love you. We love the civil work that you're doing. But uh, man, there just seemed to be a little interesting where it was, it was, it was essentially all of a sudden these, these zones went up. Now, you're supposed to drive slower in a school zone. That's a good thing, right? Driving slower in a school zone, we can all agree that's a good thing. Having a speed limit there. They put up this like very, very expensive camera system that anytime anybody during any of the school time, and it went all the way up till like four o'clock, drove through uh, at any point. It was like, like oh, we're talking five miles over, whatever the limit is. To be fair, the limit was stated on a very small sign in every space off to the side. You would get this unbelievable ticket. And I, I meant to look this up before I started the sermon. I just thought of this example uh, like a few minutes ago. And, uh, and I was thinking about just how easy it is to miss those signs. Because that cost, uh, it was some ridiculous number. Someone filed a lawsuit, I think, within the first week of this happening. Do you guys remember this being on the news? And they end up dropping the prices and adjusting the time. And in some places, making the signs bigger. It was a mess of a situation. Um, and, and it really it just was like a cash cow for the city. Like there was like this investigative reporting that turned out to like just show some signs of something. I'm sure it was well-intentioned. Have you ever missed a sign? How many people have gotten tickets driving through a stop sign? Driving through a red light? Yeah, the red light cameras are tough for Rhode Island drivers. If you would classify yourself as a Rhode Island driver, we don't, none of us ever stop at a red light, right? We, what do we do with a red light? We roll through it. It's not a hard stop. I remember the first time I did driver's ed and they, the, 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 the driver's ed driver made me like stop. And I remember just feeling, even as a kid who had never driven before, how awkward it felt because mom and dad, I grew up in Rhode Island and there's Rhode Island drivers. We don't stop at stop signs. It's sort of like a slow down, make sure everything's good and keep going. Anyone not from Rhode Island and infuriated by that reality? <laughs> Anyone from Massachusetts in the room? Yeah, you guys are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> drivers people you're great souls <laughs> you ever miss a sign especially a crucial sign a critical sign a critical sign I always seem to miss red lights only when someone else is in the car with me <laughs> in this text that we just read we come to this moment in the story where Jesus is being born. Come to a moment where all of the, the, the things that have led up to this moment, all of these uh, songs that we've been highlighting over the last uh, couple weeks. So if you're new with us, there's these, these songs, these poetic phrases that set up the Jesus story. And so we've been looking at them. And what is it about the setup before we know a thing about who this Jesus is that tells us something about God, tells us something about the divine, tells us something about like our spirituality. What is it about these, the, these accounts that, that, that shed some sort of light on who God is or who Jesus is? And so we get to our third song and it's a bunch of angels singing one of those, what is one of the most popular refrains in music, from Handel's Messiah, right, to folk singers, continue to, like, reference this Gloria. 
the angels singing peace on earth, goodwill to those whose favor rests. I've come to bring you good news of great joy, the angels' announcement. Just that phrase, there's good news of great joy. We can get confused a bit about what we're doing here when we talk about telling, um, telling the world about Jesus or, or trying to live in tune with like a Jesus-centered reality or wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, like what it means to like walk faithfully the way of love and generosity and beauty in the world as is influenced by Jesus. The, the, the biblical story does not come with a set of suggestions for us about how to live. What these churches and what this strange movement of Christianity that started amidst what was a highly pagan world. This great article that came out in the New Yorker, this writer just talking about how did Christianity really endure? This is strange if you go back through history. How did it become this thing that it became in such a short amount of time? It continues to baffle and cause books and readings like from people across the literary and across the different disciplines in education. Like what, how, what happened? Why did it happen? What were the conditions that made that happen? We have never seen anything like this. This whole thing is centered around though an announcement. It's what Jesus spends most of his time doing, just announcing this good news that something's happening. And I think for whatever reason, we can miss that. We can miss this, this, this declaration from the angels. I've come, we've come to, gi to give you, to share with you good news of great joy. It's all about to change. It's all about to change. I like to think that in the angels' minds, even in that moment, they're like thinking of us. Like, oh, you have no idea what's going to happen. First of all, there's going to be like things like electricity that are going to come on the scene. And then there's, there's, there's going to be television. There's going to be these kinds of instruments. There's going to be this. There's going to be the internet. There's going to be all these different things. And then like you're fast forwarding. Somehow they were able to implant in the shepherd's mind this whole vision of what the future is going to look like. And then they get like a glimpse of like us sitting in this old Lutheran cathedral a bunch of people in Providence, Rhode Island, continuing to sing this refrain from 2,000 years ago. Like, they're coming to announce it's all about to change. And, and our understanding of where peace and beauty and love come from, this whole paradigm is about to shift. The angels show up on the scene and God, we're noticing this thread through all of these Christmas stories, is the way that God comes and the way that God drops these signs are not in these big sorts of ways. It's in a dream to a really poor peasant teenage girl. And, and then in this story, we have him coming to who? Who are the angels singing to in the story? Shepherds. Shepherds at this point in history are like the bottom of the bottom. Shepherds are social outcasts. The reason why the shepherds are out in the field and not, right, as we read earlier in the account, going to be counted with the, for the census is because they don't need to be counted because nobody cares. 
Historians talk about this, like, like ad nauseum, like these were the people who had the, the, the stench of the barnyard on them. They were the renegades. They were the, the families that were booted, either booted out or who were born into such a lifestyle that were so pushed away. These were the ones that were these, like, I don't know, like almost the, in your mind, maybe like the sailors. Like, as long as they don't come around here, maybe God will still put this thing back together. There's all this sort of mythical understanding of who is in and who is out. And so these shepherds are these social outcasts. And again, God and his peculiarity, if I were going to write a propaganda book for God and Jesus, the Bible is the worst book ever. Because now you have the God of the universe showing up to, again, the, the outcasts. It reminds me of the resurrection scene. We've talked about this before. At Easter, the, the women are the ones who discover Jesus and who bear witness. And so, so many scholars have pointed out, how peculiar is that? All right, we think, like, well, what's the big deal? But in that day and age, a woman would have no legal standing in court and couldn't testify. And the way that people wrote things down and how things fleshed out in that regard, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. If you're trying to like convince people that something happened, definitely don't have like women testifying to Jesus rising from the dead unless it actually happened and that's the way that it happened. Who God decides to come to and how God decides to show up says something incredibly important about this season and who God is. Have you ever asked the question, like, why does this story continue to endure? Like, why are we still talking about this? Like, angels and virgin births, really? Why has this stuck around? Why, when there are a bunch of other stories that also had some of these details in it around that time that had that sort of lore and legendary ideas, why have they not influenced some of the greatest minds and revolutionaries and healers and stay-at-home parents? <laughs> why? Like, what is it about this story? And I, I'm sure there's a bunch of things, but I just want to humbly submit that I think for all of us, it's the why we love, like, the movies that we love, there's something that rings true to us when the, 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 when the rescue, when the saving, when the hero, when it comes authentically with integrity from the bottom without power. When all of a sudden it's the person who is so ostracized and pushed to the side. When, when the revolution actually doesn't come as some sort of power over, but from underneath. When the story is told, nowhere in history is history ever told from the people on the underside of power, right? This is why in our textbooks growing up, we have such a backwards reading of what really the United States is about or slavery, Right? We don't, we don't really get the full story because the story is told by the people who won. It's told by the people in power. That's what I think is so fascinating about the Christmas story. It's not told by the people in power. The story is told, even written down by what we know about who Luke is and what he wrote into this account. I think it begins to stir us and it sticks around and it stays in our songs and our literature and our art to this very day. Because it's told 
by the people on the underside of power. Luke gives us all of these ordinary details then, I think, for a reason. So again, if you have your Bibles. There are shepherds out in the field. They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Now let me stop. You've got angels talking to people. In a moment, they're going to like break out into song, like a whole heavenly host of them, and sing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. If you were going to like try to figure out where is the sign in this passage, where would you guess that it is? Like what, what's the sign in this passage? Any thoughts? Angels. Just like Captain Obvious right now. If you walk out the door and an angel shows up and starts speaking with you, and then like a whole host of them shows up, and it lights up everything around you as if it's like the bright middle of the day, and they start singing like glory to anything to you. They start singing in Latin. There's angels. Where's the sign? Right there. To be clear, every movie you've ever seen, there's the sign. Like, okay, the skies have parted. The light comes down. The hero shows up. I think it's so fun. That the, the thing that is said, that is the sign here, is this. The sign to you, lowly shepherds who are going, what is going on? You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You will find the phrase they use is Messiah the Lord. So as, as Jewish shepherds, we can assume there is this expectation that the Messiah is going to come. Apparently this Messiah is, is, is sort of God in flesh in some way. We'll read more about that later. This will be a, a sign to you, not us showing up. The way that which you will know this is the God of the universe is going to show up and put it all back together and he's going to start in a feeding trough. It's going to start the story in the lowliest and lowliest and lowliest of places. It's a humble sign. I think because in our heart of hearts, we know that's where love always shows up. In our heart of hearts, we know that's where truth tends to rise is in the lowliest of places. This is how God communicates. There is this expectation throughout the entire Jesus story. It's the same expectation that every single one of us have. It's why we put so much faith in politics. Because we continue to fall underneath into the trap that we think if we can just mandate enough and just get our side in power to tell everybody else what to do, we know what's right. Forgetting that the other side is saying the same thing. And if we can just mandate that enough, it won't just be that we curb a brokenness. There's a proper place for that. 
But this will be the thing that solves it. The story that we know and believe is that if we can just be coercive enough, no one thinks their side's coercive if they're right. But if we do this, then, if we do this, then, here's what's happening. These first Jewish people are going, oh my gosh, if the Messiah is really here, then he's going to put it all back together, which means he's going to tell all those other people that they're wrong. And he's definitely not going to spend time with the enemy. And he's definitely going to encourage us to rise up in some sort of insurrection against the brokenness that we see. And we're going to tell all those people what to do, which is why if you're even remotely familiar with the Jesus story, you know that the disciples keep not understanding what Jesus is up to. They keep missing it. They think Jesus is going to come and like take Caesar back, like, like overthrow the throne. They think Jesus is going to come and do away with these people. He thinks Caesar is going to come and tell all to legislate this in such a way that, all, that, that he will be able to rise to the top. That when we want to select a king or a president, that the way they're going to do that is to make everybody get in line. But it's not what's happening. The Christmas story, the sign to these shepherds is <laughs> it's not going to happen the way that you think. Here's what you think is happening, but it's not going to happen the way that you can't think. Luke gives us these ordinary details to let us know that this Jesus is the anti-king or the true king. Like the parody is Rome. The parody is DC. The parody, like it's not what you think. It's why every movie and book that we've ever gone, yeah, love will win out. We, go, we know deep down somehow that has to be true. That love can sway and crack even the hardest of hearts. That there are themes of Advent that come up every year in the church. Hope, peace, joy, love. These distinctly Christian ideas of what it means to be in the world. This is how the world is one. This is how the thing gets put back together. This is how the relationship is healed. This is how the addiction is overcome. And it's not just pie in the sky well wishing. It's saying we kind of know deep down that as much as we want to hold the reins and force our way through to fix things, that there's something deeper and bigger that takes its time. It's a humble sign that these shepherds get. It's not the angels singing and bursting through the night. It's, it, the sign will be the Messiah is not going to like levitate above you all in a moment and reveal everything that there is. We are, we're we're going to tell this story a different way because God's not going to coerce anyone. Because if it's love, God is not going to mandate that everyone says yes and chooses yes to life and love. I'm going to give you a sign. Mary, I'm going to give you a sign. Elizabeth, I'm going to give you a sign. Don't miss the sign. We miss signs all the time. The sign helps us make sense of the bigger thing that's going on, right? It's like with the doctor. Like, pay attention to those symptoms, I've heard like 55 sniffles since I've gotten up here. Right? We pay attention. We're like, ah, oh, it's just the winters. It's cold season. It's not a big deal. It's probably not something bigger going on. 
okay, about a week of it and your fever's at like 103, what are you gonna do? Well, some of you are gonna do. Some of you are gonna go walk around and shake your like coworker that you don't really like's hand and go, hey, it's good to see you. But the rest of you might go to the hospital. You might go to the doctor. You might go get medicine. We pay attention to the signs. We pay attention to the symptoms. And what a doctor does is says, hey, pay attention to the symptoms so that we'll know when to check the bigger thing that might be going on in your body. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. The Christmas story, in a lot of ways, is this this gesture, (laughs) this announcement to us of you're going to need a sign. Like, we need to pay attention to our greed and our violence and our anger and our mistreatment of one another and our signs of war and abandonment and the places where, like, human flourishing is stifled. Like, we have God saying to us, you need to learn how to read the signs. This is what God has done in sending Jesus and saying, I am what your soul needs. Like, pay attention to who I am and how I am in the world. I think if Jesus would have shown up the way that he often goes out, right? Jesus is really good at exits. God's really good at exits. Elijah, like flaming chariot, pretty epic. Jesus rising from the dead and ascending into heaven. God's got exits down. You follow me? Like he he gets that. It was something about the, 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 (laughs) the start, the beginnings I think if he would have come in all power and glory and majesty, we would have missed the the, the point. We would have missed how he is and what he's doing in the world. It's kind of a weak entrance. But the entrance is significant. If Jesus had come into the world in this spectacular fashion, it would have misguided us. If he would have parted the waters or been the god of like Greek mythology or done the, the rally, we would have always looked at God like he was magical. Like we're waiting for this otherness. And instead we see God do the most human thing imaginable, Emmanuel, which means God with us in all of our sinfulness and all of our brokenness, born into this world. He didn't have to clean up the barn. He didn't have to clean up Mary. He stepped into our humanity. He didn't walk outside of us. He stepped into the story. He said, this is the sign. And you see radical, sacrificial love, the reason why it resonates in your soul. The reason why you want it and beg for it and love it and hashtag it, even if you're here and you've wanted nothing to do with God for a long time, you know it rings true in your soul because it has a source and a root and it's true about the way things are and change and where we are now in human history, which is God through sacrificial and radical love is making all things new. God comes into human history the same way he will come into your life. The same way he creates this first sign to make sure you know that God is with you. It's like the untouchable suddenly becomes touchable. The untouchable 
the mystery of like what is life and love and spirituality becomes known in flesh and blood. What are you expecting from God this season? This is my favorite question. I ask it every Advent. Got a whole spectrum of answers to that, right? Nothing. Not sure he's there. To why haven't you fill in the blank? To, it, it, maybe it starts with, uh, I'm really unsure and I try not to expect too much from God. To, oh man, I'm expecting so much. It's like a kid waiting for Santa. You're like, oh, there's some things coming down the line that are gonna be good. Low-grade apathy, despondency, and despair. What do I expect from life, from love? Joy beyond joy. We learn so much about where we're at. And we learn so much about how attentive we are to the signs in our own heart. How am I doing? If this is all random and none of it matters, why am I doing this? I say that I'm a follower of Jesus. It's been a while since I've talked to God. I say I want to live this sort of life, and I say this is what I want my eulogy to be, and I'm not, it doesn't reflect that at all right now. I want to be alive. I want to be thriving with peace and joy and rest and hope, and it's, not, it's just not there. Maybe life like, threw me a, a curveball that I did not expect and literally nothing is the way that I thought it was going to be right now. So, so what am I expecting? And so the God who shows up in our lives the same way, the same way that he showed up in humanity, what do we have to say? If that's true, to whatever degree of disbelief you have along the spectrum, and we all have some level of it. Well, God doesn't really do that anymore. Whatever it is. What do you have to say to that, God? What do you have to say to this story? Where are you in this story? I don't know if I'll ever get past plainly talking about the power of the thing that almost every person, like in every poll, acknowledges some sense of otherness in the world, made itself known as a baby in a feeding trough with the foot of the empire on its neck. And then, instead of coercively taking the world back for God, and making Israel great again. <laughs> it just loves. And it goes.
lost and the enemy and the outcast. And it invites and it speaks truth to those that are trying to coerce. And then it invites everyone else. The untouchable, the thing that we're always trying to get our head around or trying to avoid, becomes known to us in flesh and blood. And of course, this little baby, the way it comes to us, we learn something about like Jesus' mission in this moment. Vulnerable. Jesus' before the resurrection ends, vulnerable. We get another sign. What's this God like? We get another unassuming sign. It's not Jesus on a throne surrounded by angels or some mystical story. It's the God of the universe on an execution device in a no-name area, on a cross dying. Well, that's another great sign. Allow these stories. I just want to encourage you, as it's been for me this last week, to kind of reignite my imagination of what this God is really like and what he's up to and how he's about it. This Christmas season, we proclaim joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare for him again. And let heaven and nature sing. For love has won and love is winning and love will ultimately conquer over all. This is not, by the way, borrowed from some like updated hashtag, just to be really clear. Like this is the story of scripture. Far before there was love wins, (laughs) there was love conquers all. There was love never fails. And if love never fails, love what? Always wins. It takes time to allow love to be birthed in each of us, to allow God to come to us in the way that he came into humanity again and again and again has been the story of my life. To allow God to enter into seasons of great temptation and great issues of brokenness, of exhaustion, to see love be birthed again into friends who are going through hell. It's a powerful thing. But God will not coerce you. And God will not hit you over the head. Well, usually not. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. God who arrives. Poetry of this love.
adoration, Lord, to turn our eyes to you. Lord, will we do that now? We believe in love all over again. A love that lifts our voices to proclaim a joy beyond joys. A hope beyond hope. Lord, may we not miss the signs. May we not miss the sign this morning. thing that tugs at my heart that I'm sure tugs at yours, which is the home. I know this to be true. I know this when I hear the Charlie Brown Christmas special and I hear there's a Linus, like read this account. I know this to be true about the universe, about the world, about my own life. And I allow this sort of love to be king in my life. Not a disconnected, lifeless, gutless, toothless love but a love that is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. A love that that births forgiveness and renewal and a purpose that flies above every other purpose. Lord, come into our lives again. Heal, Lord, the relationships in this room that are so broken, that are in need of this sort of, of sacrificial love. of this sort of vulnerable love. Lord, I pray healing. God, healing over the families that people are going home to this Christmas. The dread that I hear every year from folks of what they're walking back into. But this love would meet those full of joy this morning. Who were like, all right, all right, all right, let's just get to the hot chocolate because we got things to celebrate. that we would find ourselves like Paul, like diving further into the depths of this love, allowing it to steer our life and steer our energies and resources and being in the world. We don't want to miss the sign, Lord. What our soul needs, Lord, we say yes to you. We say yes to you now, Lord.